Hello, I'm Jacob Kruger, and this is the Write Your Screenplay podcast. As you know, on this podcast, rather than looking at movies in terms of loved it or hated it, two thumbs up or two thumbs down, we try to look at them in terms of what we can learn from them as screenwriters. This week, we're going to be looking at Trainwreck by Amy Schumer. Before we even get into the structure of the movie, I want to start off by talking about the inception of the movie and how it came to the screen. Because oftentimes, if you're an emerging screenwriter, it's easy to believe that the professionals must totally know what they're doing and they must just write one draft and it magically comes to fruition. But the truth of the matter is that Amy's process on this project was very similar to the process that a lot of you go through. Writing a great movie does not happen overnight. This movie took Amy years and many drafts to write. And interestingly, it started off as a completely different movie. Judd Apatow tells a story about working for about nine months with Amy on a completely different draft of the movie until the two of them kind of realized, you know what, this is not really the story that we want to tell. And Apatow said to to Amy Schumer, you know, I was really more interested in those personal stories that you were telling that when I first heard your jokes, when you're talking about your father and his real experience with MS and what that real relationship looked like to you. And so eight or nine months into the process, Amy Schumer completely reconceived the movie, completely reconceived what it was about and made it personal. And you can see how putting that personal stuff on the page brought this movie into instant focus, not only for the writer and director, but also for you, the audience, also for the character. Trainwreck starts with a really amazing little vignette. Little Amy, whose character's name is Amy, and her sister Kim, whose character's name is Kim, are sitting across from their dad whose real name is Gordon, whose character name is Gordon. And Gordon is trying to explain their parents' divorce. And the scene is totally hilarious because he's trying to explain the divorce in terms of their dolls. What if you had to play with that doll for the rest of your life? What if there were other dolls that you wanted to play with? And the scene is totally hilarious, but it's also heartbreaking. Because by the end of the scene, Dad has... The two kids parroting back to him, monogamy isn't realistic. And what a wonderful place to start a movie about intimacy, about how hard it is to fall in love, how hard it is to actually break past our our own walls. There's a really wonderful journey for Amy in this movie. and, And one of the things I love about that journey is that even though it hits all those traditional romantic comedy beats down to the big theatrical performance in the end to prove her love, it does it in a way that's extremely personal and extremely vulnerable and extremely truthful and that actually looks a lot more like real love in all its messiness than a lot of romantic comedies. Now, I'm not saying that this is the real Amy Schumer. Because when you write from your real life, you're not trying to put your real, real self on the page. You're not trying to put your life experiences exactly the way they occurred on the page. You're trying to look really closely at one specific aspect of yourself. 
one little broken piece of yourself or one little beautiful piece of yourself or maybe like this movie, a, a mixture of the two. So, for example, Amy Schumer steals from her real life a very awkward breakup with an ex-boyfriend, which occurred while she was starting to think about maybe dating other guys. And he was getting suspicious. And he confronted her about it while she was totally, totally high. And this is a true episode from her life. And like in the movie, rather than sitting down and being compassionate and having a real talk... She just asked if she could leave because she was just too high. And uh, Amy Schumer actually contacted that boyfriend before uh, putting it into the movie to make sure that it was cool with him. But what's interesting is, at least according to her interviews, Amy wasn't actually cheating on him. She was just feeling her heart wander. And that even though this character was based on Amy Schumer as she saw herself in her 20s when... She was in a lot of pain and drinking a lot and, as she describes it, not aware how much she was hurting. Uh, In her interviews, Amy talks about not being a person who actually has a lot of affairs, who has actually had a lot of one-night stands. That instead, with this character, what she's done is she has amplified that part of herself around a question that Judd Apatow asked her, which is, why don't you have a boyfriend right now? She's amplified that part of herself that finds it hard to connect, to take those internal feelings and externalize them in a way that we can see and laugh at. She's exaggerating herself to find a way of goofing on herself, to find a way of enjoying her flaws and turning them into beauty. And this is what makes the movie so effective, and this is what makes the characterizations so effective. That simple little problem of intimacy. Often in romantic comedies, we get characters who are funny with no psychology. But in this romantic comedy, we have characters who are fully formed. In fact, in different hands, um, in different hands, train, train wreck is not a comedy. In different hands, train wreck is a character-driven drama about a girl who can't connect. In different hands, train wreck looks a lot more like girls or tiny furniture. That there's this very specific thing going on called voice. Amy Schumer's very specific voice and Judd Apatow's very specific voice that translate this, translate this drama into comedy. And this is something that if you're interested in writing a comedy, you should definitely think about is that the best comedies do not come from trying to be funny. The best comedies come from trying to be real from saying the things that we don't want to say, from looking at the things that we don't want to look at. And you can see this in Amy Schumer's sketch work. You can see it in Trainwreck. You can see it in in shows like Louie. That comedy is just, as a wiser man than me once said, that comedy is just unrequited want. And in that way, comedy and drama are exactly the same thing. Comedy is just a way of executing unrequited want. So Amy Schumer goes on a really amazing journey. And the actual structure of that journey is is not like in the typical romantic comedy. Just about Amy Schumer puts on a cheerleading routine because she realizes she's really in love. Structurally, what we would call that cheerleading routine, that hilarious cheerleading routine at the end of the movie... 
What we call it structurally is actually the denouement, the resolution in a seven-act structure. We call it Act 7. That is not actually the scene where Amy changes. That's just a scene where we see the effect of her changes. The actual change happens in the scene before, the end of Act 6 in a seven-act structure. The end of that scene is actually, in a way, a mirror of that very first scene. It's actually about her relationship with her dad and her relationship with her sister and her relationship with herself. And it actually culminates with that really awkward hug when she allows her sister and her sister's husband to hug her. When she admits that she knows that her sister loved her father too. When she admits to herself that the reason that she's been rejecting everything that her sister has is because there's a part of her that believes that she can't have it. That her ultimate journey is not just about putting on a show for her boyfriend. Her ultimate journey is about accepting intimacy, accepting a hug. And we can actually see the movement for that journey set up in the very first scene, that little vignette with her father. And we can see it again when we enter the world of grown-up Amy, who is unable to even cuddle for 10 minutes with a guy in bed who is living a series of one-night stands, who even when she meets a great guy that she really likes, can't have him too near her on the bed, has to put a pillow in between him, can't handle his breathing because it feels too much like intimacy. And her journey isn't actually a Hollywood-style journey where she accepts a hug and learns to love hugs. The truth of the matter is at the end of the movie, she does accept a hug from her sister and the, the sister's husband who she despises and the sister's son who freaks her out. But she accepts it in her way. It's uncomfortable for her. It's awkward for her. She still wants to extract herself. So despite its big Hollywood ending, what's really cool about Trainwreck is that Trainwreck is built on indie drama bones. It is a big commercial movie built on the bones of an indie drama. And what I mean by that is it is built on a character with a real psychology. Not someone who's the person that we wish we could be, but someone who's the person that we actually are. Or some aspect of the person that we actually are. Because who doesn't have trouble with intimacy? And the guy she's in love with, while awesome and the prototypical romantic comedy love interest, yes, he does have an amazing job. Yes, he does volunteer for Doctors Without Borders. Yes, he is played by Bill Hader. Yes, he is perfect in every way. But the truth is, he too has a problem with intimacy. In fact, we find out that his last several girlfriends, it's been years since he's been in a relationship with anyone, that his last several girlfriends have not lasted a long time. So you have two characters who are like us. Maybe he's exaggerated in his goodness, and maybe she's a little exaggerated in her train wreckedness. But the truth is, they're real people with complex psychologies who want love and fear love at the same time. And their journey is not built around the Hollywood tentpole moments, even though this movie is absolutely filled with them. It's built around the real drama of their lives. Her boyfriend tells her she loves, he loves her at the funeral of her father. In her speech about her father, she doesn't memorialize the perfect guy. She memorializes the very, very sick man who was also her favorite person. 
when Bill Hader is making his big speech to the Doctors Without Borders community. And yes, she does do the very prototypical romantic comedy thing and screw up in a big way. But before it sells out with its fabulous Hollywood ending, where we feel the spirit of romance triumph over everything, it also does the fight for real. In a scene that really captures what does make it so hard to put two lives together. How the difference in our expectations based on our childhoods and our life experiences and the relationships of our parents end up playing out in our own lives. And although the scene is hilarious, it's also very sad. Because Bill Hader talks to Amy about the fact that he needed her there for that speech, and instead she ducked out to answer a call from work, got high in the lobby, her old pattern, the one that we saw with her big musclehead boyfriend. And when he confronts her, she's like, okay, I understand that it's over, and now we're not going to speak to each other. Because that's the relationship she has with her father when they get into a fight. They, they don't speak to each other for a while until they forgive each other. And Bill Hader, who comes from a different life and a different family, we can only assume, is flabbergasted by this idea. What do you mean that it's over because we're having a fight? We're supposed to have a fight and we're supposed to talk it out and then we're, we're supposed to stay together. And though this, this scene is executed like a comedy, this scene at its heart is a drama scene. This scene is about two very real characters with completely different belief systems trying to figure out how to talk to each other. Two people who love each other, who are missing each other and losing each other. And for, the, for perhaps the first time in a romantic comedy, we see a fight written kind of like a real fight happens. When they're trying not to go to bed angry, when they make up and have sex only to have him point out that she apologized and start the whole thing over again. When things suddenly get very, very dark and very, very defensive. When people end up saying the things that they don't mean rather than the things that they do. When her own defenses and his own defenses end up at war with each other. And it's refreshing to see this in a romantic comedy. And it's refreshing to see this in such a commercial romantic comedy, such an effective romantic comedy. Because oftentimes we think as writers that we only have one choice or another. We can either sell out and make money and have a big audience, or we can refuse to sell out and we can hold on to our, our beliefs and our purity as artists. And what we're really seeing in Trainwreck is we're seeing that you can do both. That you could do the real scene and then you can do the Hollywood version of the scene. That you can do the character-driven drama and then you can do the Hollywood set piece. And that even that Hollywood set piece, and by set piece I'm talking about that big performance in Madison Square Garden where she tries to do the thing that she hates the most, cheerleading to prove her love to the guy she loves the most. Even that can be drama. Because that's really what we're seeing in Amy's character. We're seeing a character who is giving up her defense mechanisms, who is stepping out of her comfort zone. And every single, those, single one of those elements has been carefully laid into this script. We've seen her relationships with sports at the very beginning when she starts off by saying that people who like sports are just lesser people. When, during her first interview with Bill Hader, she sticks her foot in her mouth again and again and again because she thinks sports are just so stupid. 
We've seen his attempt at a really cool date with her, taking her to the slam dunk competition. And we've seen her rejection of that. And we've seen her despising of the cheerleaders that Bill Hader's character treats. And so as ridiculous as a set piece of Amy Schumer doing cheerleading might be, and as hilarious as her execution of that piece may be. The real structure of that scene is really a metaphor for her attempts at love. That beautiful moment where she decides to go for the slam dunk and falls right on her face. That we're not watching the story of a character who goes on a perfect journey. That we're watching a character who goes on a journey where they learn to try. So what makes this movie so funny? When you're writing comedy, there's a concept called the game of the scene. And the truth is there's such a thing as the game of the scene in a drama. The game of the scene in a drama might be about the status games that are being played between the characters. It might be about the emotional power in the scene. It might be about who runs the room. It might be about a lot of things. But in a comedy, the game of the scene is the thing that's funny about the character or the situation. Now, you could tell that Trainwreck was written from an outline. The train wreck is built to hit all those romantic comedy beats in exactly the right place in exactly the right order. But the thing that makes it feel fresh and new, and quite frankly, the thing that makes it feel so funny is that Amy Schumer is so great and Judd Apatow is so great at finding the game in each scene. And one of the places that we can actually see this is in the LeBron James character. Now, this is a really bad idea that somehow manages to work. The idea of pulling all these sports superstars who may or may not be able to act, even though they did an admirable job. This is a terrible idea, very dangerous idea in a comedy. And the thing that made it work, how are you going to get all these people who are not trained in comedy, who are not trained in improv, who have not been actors their whole life, how are you going to get them to be funny? How are you going to get it to work? And the way it works is actually through this idea of the game of the character. With LeBron James, the game of the character is you take one of the richest athletes in the world and you give him a little secret. And that little secret is that he is terrified of going bankrupt. And in fact, when Judd Apatow and Amy Schumer explained the character to him, that's how they explained it. You are terrified of going bankrupt and you are surprisingly interested in the emotional side of this relationship. And that's the game of this character. And once you know the game of the character, once you know the thing about the character that you find just really, really funny, it's easy to start to improvise funny things. Oh, he left his glasses and wants to drive back 40 minutes to avoid spending $35 at Sundance Hut. Oh, he wants to split every check. Oh, he is extremely concerned about prenuptial agreements. It becomes easy to, to improvise, to play, to find the heart of the scene and the heart of the character once you find that little game. And it also becomes easy to create those wonderful scenes between him and Bill Hader, where he is just so, so concerned about whether this girl's going to hurt him. The intervention, the wonderful scene where he confronts Amy about her intentions for his friend. This is called game. And the game, sometimes you know the game when you start, and sometimes you find the game by writing. 
But once you find the game, that little special thing, once you find the game, you just keep playing it and playing it and playing it and playing it and outdoing it and outdoing it and outdoing it. And once you've established the game, if there's a change in the game, you can appreciate it. You can appreciate it as a change in the character. You can appreciate it on not only a comedic level, but on a structural level. And of course, this concept also works with Amy's character because she has a little game too. And this, this concept applies to pretty much every character. Even Amy's little, uh, little nephew has a game which is just to be interested in everything that could possibly get your butt kicked on a schoolyard. Mike Burbiglia has got a game just to be the ultimate dad. Just the goofiest, awkwardest, most dad body looking dad. The dad that she never had. Kim's got a game, which is she wants to punish her father. And though it's played for comedy, it's a dramatic game. And we can see it when she tears up his Mets posters. And we can see it when she's trying to move him to a cheaper nursing home. And we can see how it becomes structural at the funeral when Amy lashes out at Kim, thinking that she doesn't care. And Dad has a game, which is to say the most inappropriate thing at every moment, to find the thing that's going to push the buttons, whether it's his neighbor at the nursing home, his daughters, or his friends. Tilda Swinton's character's got a game. Tilda Swinton's character, and she plays the same game again and again. Is this your one-woman show? I don't have... I didn't buy the tickets. Oh, you're being fired. How could you... Her game is just to be the coldest, iciest bitch. Just to care not at all about anybody ever. And even Bill Hader's got a game. Because even while he's being the perfect, lovely, helpful, kind, vulnerable handsome man that every girl wants. He also has a game of calling Amy out on her bullshit. And he does it with humor, like in the first scene when he tells her she can stop pretending she likes sports teams or points out that he owns a jersey as well. And we can see it even in that wonderful last scene when he says, you know, most people, when they hit a trampoline, they go up and you just went down. And we can see it in the dramatic scenes. When he tells her exactly how he feels about her not being there for his speech. All of these characters have got a game, and some of their games are comedic, and some of their games are dramatic. And the movie works, and the character works, because the actors know how to play the game, and the writer knows how to play the game. That the games become structural in the movie, just like the games that we play together become structural in our lives. And that ultimately, we can understand Amy's change because we watch Amy stop playing her game because of course Amy's got a game as well and Amy's game is to reject everything that she really wants Amy's game is to basically play the game of the magazine she works for pointing fingers at everyone else's failures so she doesn't have to try pretending she doesn't want the things that she does so that she doesn't have to fear failing it making fun of those around her rather than looking honestly at herself. And in this way, Trainwreck is a lot like Bridesmaids because these are movies that could have sucked. And they could have sucked by looking at their characters with judgment. Bridesmaids very easily could have been a movie about 
a bunch of nasty bridesmaids. And you can see even from the marketing campaign that that was probably the idea that it started with, just the nastiest, bitchiest bridesmaids ever. But if you'd actually written that movie, it would be almost unbearable to watch because who wants to watch a bunch of nasty bridesmaids all day? It would be too hard to see ourselves in them. Similar to Trainwreck, Bridesmaids also went through several drafts. There's an early draft where the thing that saves the day with Annie is her good old-fashioned American route. She knows how to fix a tire. And it wasn't until later drafts, when Kristen Wiig came back and rewrote the script, that it turned into a movie not about the hook, not about the big commercial idea of nasty bridesmaids, when it became a movie about what does it really mean to be yourself? What does it mean to become an authentic human being? And in that way, Trainwreck is so similar because Trainwreck could so easily have been a movie about pointing fingers at the Trainwreck girl that we all have known, or the Trainwreck guy that we all have known. It could so easily have become that movie. In fact, if for those of you who've seen that horrible interview on Facebook with the Australian interviewers asking her why her character was such a skank, some people have still tried to turn the movie into that. But the truth of the matter is that Trainwreck is not about a skanky train wreck of a girl. Trainwreck is about a girl who's trying to fall in love, who's finally gotten an opportunity to be with someone good, but can't get out of her own way. Trainwreck is a story about how hard it is to actually open yourself to another human being whether you're the famous doctor or the struggling journalist. Trainwreck is not about the commercial hook and the commercial moments that draw you into the movie and make the producers happy. Trainwreck is not about the commercial hook and the commercial moments and the commercial set pieces and the commercial formula that gets butts in seats and makes producers happy. Trainwreck and the success of Trainwreck is about a character's journey. Not a character that we're judging or pointing fingers at, but a character who's doing an exaggerated version of something that every single one of us has done. Who's going on an exaggerated version of a journey that every one of us has longed for. And who's making the mistakes that every one of us has made. And this is the root of drama and this is the root of comedy. This is the game of train wreck which is not the game of watching the messed up girl mess up, but the game of watching the scared girl learn to be brave enough to try. And there's one last concept that I want to talk about. Because oftentimes in our writing, we end up having the same defenses as Amy Schumer. We end up judging other people's writing so that we don't have to look at our own. We end up protecting ourselves from the truth of our voice so we don't have to risk being judged or rejected. We end up having the one-night stands with this scene or that scene, rather than committing to the resources that we need to actually go on the journey of a full draft. We protect ourselves by trying to write on the surface because it's scary to get underneath. And that that is a problem that is not just reserved for beginning writers, that that is a problem that the superstars suffer as well. And that sometimes you do have to spend eight months on a script before you find your real way in, before you discover what the movie is really about for you. And then you do have to have the courage to go for that 
slam dunk that you're not sure if you can hit. You do have to have the courage to be vulnerable enough to risk being cliche, to risk not being as good as you want to be. And you do have to confront your own stuff from your own childhood and your own mistaken beliefs to hopefully take your character on a journey that transcends your own. So thank you for joining me for this podcast. If you'd like to study with me in New York City, online, on our international retreats, or as part of our six-month one-on-one mentorship program, please check out my website, www.writeyourscreenplay.com.